Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode, everybody. We're happy to be with you. Upon our recording of this episode, we have just wrapped up our Philosophy of John Paul II course here at the Theology of the Body Institute. We had Dr. Peter Colosi, a longtime friend of mine who teaches at Salve Regina University in Rhode Island. He came to give a beautiful course on the philosophical foundations of John Paul's Theology of the Body. And it was great to have a kind of reunion with students who have been with us many times. We had a few new students. Yeah, some even that was their first course. Yeah, some of them taking this as their very first course with the Institute. But a shout out to Pete Colosi, if you're listening, thanks so much for pouring your heart out for our students. Yes, that was, and it was, of course, as you said, great to be. That was, I didn't even go in the classroom at all, which I usually don't, so that's not saying anything about this particular class. I just like to see people at meals. Uh, and so thank you to all those who are our listeners who let me know that you are listening. That's just a beautiful gift to me as we are recording this to be thinking of you. Thank you for listening. Do you have any other updates from the TOB Institute for us? Yes, we have. uh, At the end of June, we have a TOB one, both in person, which is sold out and there's a waiting list, but we also have a TOB one online. So check out the link in the descriptions. If you've never taken TOB one, I really encourage you to take the online version at the end of June. We also, in July, July 10th to the 15th, I will be teaching tag-teaming with Jeanette Clark. Uh, I will be teaching the Love and Responsibility course. I'm teaching that for the first time. I'm really excited about that. And we have the first week of August at the Institute, we have the writings of John Paul II on marriage, family, and gender. So things he's written after Theology of the Body, where he's applying what he gave us in the Theology of the Body in letters like The Dignity and Vocation of Women, uh, The Letter to Families, uh, the, modern fa- or the Family in the Modern World, um, and a few other documents John Paul II wrote. Excellent course that Bill Dunahee's going to teach. So please check out the link in the show notes to learn more about attending one of those courses yeah. this summer. Yeah, then we'll get to meet you there. How about it? Uh, Are you ready for a question? Yes, let's do it. First question from a patron, an anonymous patron. Let me give a shout out to all our patrons that are listening out there. Thank you so, so much for your monthly support of the Theology of the Body Institute mission. And we hope you're taking full advantage of the formation that we offer exclusively to you as our patrons. If you haven't checked that out in a while, Go to your patron page and listen to one of the retreats or the study series we have on there. Just make sure you're, you're diving in there and, and receiving all those benefits. Bless you all. Thank you. Thank you so much. Our patron says, I'm a practicing Catholic woman and have been coming to know our Lord much more deeply in the past few years. I have a past, as everyone does, and I'm struggling when it comes to healing from sexual sins. Without getting into too much detail, I loved a man quite deeply in my own broken way, 
but realize now that Christ calls us to love with a deeper love that respects proper emotional and physical boundaries outside the walls of marriage, a love that is sacrificial and seeks the good of the other. Yet I'm struggling with how to hold everything together, how to properly recognize the seriousness of our sin while not falling into the mentality that sex itself is dirty, how to know that the degree of intimacy we shared was wrong when my heart wants to believe it was beautiful. Any words of advice would be much appreciated. Bless you, dear listener. This this is a journey that uh, everyone has to go on in one way or another in his life, and it's it's a real it's a uh, here's that word again it's a conundrum, and it's hard for us to hold these things together. Let me share a principle with you that I I hope will help anyone familiar with my work, my books, my courses. And this podcast, I'm sure I've said it on this podcast many times, will will be familiar with this expression. And it's so important. It is a fundamental principle, and maybe even the fundamental principle of Catholic cosmology. It is this, behold, it is very good. Everything God made, behold, it is very good. God made us male and female and called the two to become one flesh. Behold, it is very good. A a parallel principle to there, or a related principle to behold, it's very good, is this. The devil doesn't have his own clay. All he can do is take God's good clay and twist it up, distort it. So, why do I, why am I sharing this principle with you as you're wrestling with this question about your own sexual past and recognizing it was wrong, there was sin involved, but you're also, as you're saying, part of the wrestling is, but I want to believe it was beautiful, and there was, wasn't there also something good? Yes, there was, because this is what evil is. Evil is the twisting, the distortion of something good, which means there were still some elements of goodness in there that you were sensitive to. Uh, the, and and to, to just say it's pure evil does not recognize the very nature of evil as the distortion of something good. Uh, I have a similar past that I have to reckon with, and and it it it's easier in one way just to say it was all bad. It was because then I can just check that box. It was all bad. Put it in the bad category and move on with my life. But you know, move on with my life, of course, with trusting in God's mercy and all that good stuff. But that's it's not that simple. And Wendy, you have pointed this out to me on multiple occasions in our many years of married life where I've been wrestling with things from my past and and where I've been prone to think it was just bad. It was just bad. And and you've been inclined to point out to me, Wendy, but 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 there were there was goodness there too. Mm-hmm. And that's so important to recognize because it does justice to our interior experiences. But also, part of our fallen humanity is the difficulty 
of of understanding the nature of evil, of recognizing it, it takes a real discerning spirit. It takes a deep interior life to distinguish the wheat from the weeds and to recognize that they grow together. And we are inclined towards a kind of Puritanism here. And by Puritanism here, I mean we want to make very clear distinctions. That's all good. That's all evil. And it's not that simple. The wheat and the weeds grow together. So what I would invite you to do, dear listener who asked this very human question, which already reveals the depth of your spirit because you're wrestling with this stuff. It already reveals a depth of your interior life, the very fact that you're wrestling with it. I would invite you to quiet your heart in the presence of the Lord, if you're able to go to a Catholic church and just sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and present some of these memories of your heart to the Lord. Say, Lord, show me where the sin was. Show me what beautiful thing got twisted up. The danger of not doing that interior work is that we we make a strict distinction in our, in our minds, that was pure evil. Well, then how do I reconcile the beauty of the marital embrace uh, when I have this category, that was evil? Okay, well, what is evil? When we say that was evil and we have that strict category like it was pure evil, we've already made an error of giving the devil his own clay. Mm. And, and we, we can lean in the direction of thinking sex is the devil's clay. Then we, then we have real problems reconciling the goodness and the holiness of the marital embrace. Let me shout it out boldly and clearly. Sex does not belong to the devil. Sex is God's clay. God made it, and behold, he said, it is very good. The enemy gets his hands on that clay and twists it and distorts it. He's the great plagiarizer, right? He has put his name on, on, on human sexuality as if it belonged to him. And there are entire uh, schools of, of thinking, heretical schools of thinking, uh, that are very happy to say, devil, you can have it. I'm going to go live a, quote, spiritual life over here, divorced from my body and my sexuality. It is easier, we could put it this way, it is easier to eschew, to reject uh, human sexuality and erotic desire and our, our yearnings for, for union. It is easier just to say it's all bad than it is to expose what is twisted up in our hearts to the light and go through the painful purification process. John Paul II addresses this in the Theology of the Body when he says that Manichaean approach, and Manichaeanism is the heresy that says spirit good, body bad. He says Manichaeism, or Manichaeanism, uh, tomato, tomato, uh, he says Manichaeism may in fact be and might always be a loophole to avoid the requirements of the gospel. Because the requirements of the gospel are that we surrender that twisted-up clay to the powers of redemption and let the Lord purify us by untwisting that clay. That is a hard road. Mm. 
it's much easier. And here's the loophole, right? The Manichaean loophole is it's much easier to just say that clay is bad and throw it away. Mm. Right. And I think that's part of and a significant part of what you're wrestling with here. And I just say, keep going, dear sister. Or was it a mm-hmm. it was a woman? Keep going, dear sister. Keep wrestling with this. Keep surrendering that clay to the purifying, redemptive powers of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I just want to share here that sometimes we talk about healing of memories. And I think some of what you shared about maybe going before the Blessed Sacrament, opening this up yes. to the Lord is a, is a desire for a healing of those, yes. those memories. And I think it's important to know that there is truly a way that the Lord can, in that place, when we quiet ourselves, when we get in touch with those memories, not just in the kind of thinking about it way, but in a deeper way of of saying, I want to go there with you, Lord, you're outside of time. You can be present in those memories from my past as if it were now. Um, When we kind of take a spiritual journey with the Lord, we, we cannot think up in our own minds what he will say to us, what he will make clear to us when we're in that place of prayer. And Christopher and I can't come up with it for you to say, here's what the Lord wants to say to you. It really is your task. And that's what, Christopher, you've been saying about the, the challenge of that and how it's not simple. It's not maybe even going to be a once and done thing right, of, of right. going to pray one time. But our experience and the experience of so many others would testify that there is a light that the Lord can shine, a way that he can illuminate what the what was the good that you sensed there in that experience? What was the meaning of that experience in your life? And how can the Lord in his goodness travel with you there, speak to the desires of your heart there and, and show you how he was at work in your life even then. And, and the fact that he is so faithful will only cause you to love him more and desire all the more to speak the full truth with this gift of sexuality going forward. Like he's not going to in any way discourage you from this beautiful path you're on. He's going to just lift a burden that, um, that comes from not fully understanding. You're kind of getting there and understanding and you know, you need more. And that's something that really you do need to allow the Lord to speak into your heart. And what a gift, what a treasure you will have to hold on to once once you've experienced his healing presence in that memory. And I can share, this is very recent in my own life. And as you said, Wendy, it's 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 rarely a once and done thing. I, I've been praying through the healing of, of various memories from my sexual past for over 30 years. And this is just a very recent, like within the last week, where my spiritual director, I had brought to him a, a certain painful memory and and he said, take it to the Lord and let the desire that you aimed at this teenage girl, let the desire ascend the whole way to the Father. 
to the love, to the eternal love for which you were really looking. And so I went back to this memory, which, which happened in a car, and instead of indulging the desire in her direction, the memory was healed by, there I was sitting in the car, and I reached out to hold her hand as we were feeling these desires, and we, the desires became a prayer. The desires became a longing for the Lord. And, and though, I don't know how to describe it. it, uh, it the, the longing ascended. Mm-hmm. It went heavenward. This is, this, sin is always misdirected desire. And prayer, prayer, this is from Pope Benedict XVI, he says, the fathers of the church tell us that prayer, properly understood, is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. That, that memory, that, that memory in the car, which was misdirected eros, where I aimed something that belonged, aimed at God, I aimed it at this teenage girl, the memory was reworked in my, my heart so that it became an ascent of desire towards the infinite, towards the eternal, towards heaven. And it became, a, I mean, it, it brought me to tears. It was so profound and, and beautifully healing. I, I just share that as one example of what a healing of memories might look like. Uh, th- that which was unchaste became chaste and got reworked in my heart. That's those are real experiences, and and you know oftentimes it's helpful to have a spiritual director who can walk you through that. And thank you, God, I've been blessed to have a beautiful spiritual director for many many years who's able to direct me in when these things come up in my in my interior life. The fact that they're coming up in your heart again is a sign already of a deep interior life. Keep going, dear sister. The Lord can and wants to redeem these memories and help you be at peace, both with that which was good and, in His mercy, be at peace with what was distorted, inasmuch as His mercy has has forgiven you, and He has promised, promised to bring about even a greater good than would have existed had you not sinned. Does this mean we should go out and sin because the Lord's going to bring about a greater good? St. Paul says, if that's the way you think your condemnation is deserved, we shouldn't, we shouldn't go out and sin because he promises to bring about a greater good. But when we have sinned, we can have confidence in his plan and in his mercy that he will bring about a greater good in, in the fact that we have already sinned. So trust in that and you will find your peace. Our next question is from a listener named Brent. Brent says, my wife has been told that it is medically necessary for her to go on a medication that is known to cause birth defects in male babies. Her doctor warned her of this and told her she cannot go on it. If it is possible, she may become pregnant. We both want her to go on the medication for her health but are concerned about our duty as Catholics. Should we abstain from sex entirely while she's on the medication, which may be years? Is it permissible in this scenario to use contraception? How are we to understand our duty in terms of the theology of the body, considering both her bodily health 
and our vocational duty to be open to life. Bless you, Brent. Bless you, brother. Bless you and your dear wife. And whatever this health issue is, uh, first and foremost, we pray that there is a, a resolution to this. Lord, please show this dear couple the way forward. Just as we were talking in the in our little banter at the beginning of the podcast about intrinsic evil, intrinsic evil means there is no circumstance that can turn that which is intrinsically evil into something good, which means if contraception is intrinsically evil, there is nothing, no circumstance, not even this extreme circumstance, not even the need to abstain possibly for years that could make something intrinsically evil acceptable. And yes, contraception is intrinsically evil, meaning never ever is there any circumstance that would turn rendering the sexual act sterile into a good. Now I'm stating the principle just forthrightly, but now let's let's enter into a little bit more of this particular situation and and the pastoral sensitivity that is required here. So let's accept as a given contraception is not an option. What are the options? One option, which you've already presented, is to abstain for the entire time that your wife is on this medication. That is an option. And if that's what you're called to, there will be grace given to you to embrace that, accept that, and carry that cross. This, this is the Lord's promise. He will never ask something of us that He doesn't give us the grace to fulfill. So if we look at our own abilities, a married couple abstaining for a few years, or you know, look at that, uh, just at your own abilities, you think, how are we going to do that? How are we going to, I can't do that. If you keep your eyes on the Lord, you can walk on water. That's the lesson from Peter. Keep your eyes on the Lord. You can do that which seems impossible to you. Christ himself says, that which is impossible for human beings is possible with God. Now, so that's one option, abstain the entire time your wife is on the medication. Is that the only option? I am not a doctor here, I cannot speak as a doctor, uh, but I will hold out to you, maybe there is another kind of treatment for your wife. I don't know what kind of doctor you've gone to, uh, I don't know if the doctor you've gone to is sympathetic to uh, Catholic teaching, I would strongly encourage you, find a Catholic doctor who understands Catholic sexual ethics and medical ethics and is on board with them, and allow him to take you through your real options. Because oftentimes doctors who are not on board with Catholic teaching do not explore alternate possibilities. They just say, okay, here's what the basic textbook answer is to this problem, this is what you need to do. There may well be an alternative to what this doctor is proposing to you that would not require that drug that has the potential of causing birth defects for male children. 
that could be a possibility. Again, I'm not speaking as a doctor here like I know that is the case, but I'm just saying it's possible or it could be possible. Um, also, you could practice natural family planning with the strictest of the application of the rules, and you can be more certain than with virtually any form of contraception of avoiding a child. When do you, do you want to speak into this a little bit? You're yeah. an NFP teacher, and you you know how those how all that works. I a little do. Better I do want to speak to this to for Brent and your wife. So I I agree with you, Christopher, about um, it's actually a beautiful gift right now. It can seem like illness is just suffering and, you know, Lord, why do you allow this? And yet in the dynamic life that we are called to live here, we experience graces through going through challenges like this that can change our lives for the better. And I want to encourage you both in that, that this which could seem discouraging or negative, our good God you do have to stay close to him in order to experience this, but can bring greater good out of this. It's clear to me from the instruction given by the doctor that the doctor is not on board with Catholic teaching as that you what were just was, holding what did out. What I miss in his instruction? Well, that, um, that <laughs> he's, the doctor is saying you absolutely have to avoid pregnancy and implying that that I can only put you on this medication if you're also contracepting or sterilized oh, or yeah, that kind of yeah, thing. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Um, so I, I really want to encourage you to reach out. Here's a, a very good first step to an organization called the Paul VI Institute. This is named after Pope Paul VI. So it's, it's written Paul and then capital V, capital I, the Roman numeral six Institute. They are a, an amazing resource for the church and for Catholics in understanding a great deal more about treatment for physical problems that are not generally known by doctors who haven't don't have this sensitivity and desire to work with the body, work with the gift of sexuality, the call to be open to life. So I really want to encourage you both for alternate treatments and also if you choose to go on this medication, you will need the guidance of a very experienced natural family planning practitioner to be sure that something which is affecting the hormones of the wife, that you're understanding the effect on fertility very clearly. So that I, I really want to direct you there. I want all our listeners to know about this because it, it's such a sad thing when we are left in the dark and don't know where to go for help. And what you brought up, Christopher, about using natural family planning by sort of following the strictest rules, which are studied, that are scientifically shown to identify definitively infertile times in the cycle. All of this is stuff that is people often aren't aware of. So we are so happy to be able to share this with all our listeners, that there's such hope here that we don't have to be discouraged. And I think that the evil one who's the enemy of our marriages wants us to think, you know, look, just give it all up because there's no way you're going to be able to abstain. And that's ridiculous. And you have to follow this other medically recommended path. And to keep you in the dark about that is so sad because it brings harm into your marriage and to your family life that 
this is what I meant by saying at the beginning of my answer that this is a hopeful situation because it is going to bring you into the light where you've been in the dark about your fertility, about um, the options for treatment. It will cause you to continue to pray for your wife's supernatural healing, to look for alternate natural ways to help with her healing, and it will protect your marriage from something that is absolutely an attack on the integrity of your call as husband and wife. To be your vocational duty to be open to life, I just also want to speak to that real quickly. The most important thing to remember is the honoring of the gift of our bodies. Our fertility is a gift and we never act against it. It does not necessarily mean that at all times in our marriage, we have to be ready for a pregnancy. So please don't confuse those two things. That it is clear teaching that there are responsible reasons to avoid a pregnancy, but that we don't act against the gift of our union the way God intended it to be is our duty to be open to life. I just want to say this. If there are listeners out there who are not familiar with Catholic teaching on contraception and the difference between contraception and natural family planning, please, I invite you, I urge you, I encourage you, please pick up a copy of Good News About Sex and Marriage, the Q&A book that I've written. Uh, it, it is it is so important that we come to understand the Church's teaching here is not some prudish list of prohibitions. It is an invitation to embrace the glory, the goodness, the splendor of our creation as male and female, and learning how to honor that, learning how to live embracing the goodness of our creation and not acting against it. And, and I'll, I'll just say this, there is no way that we will ever come out of the gender confusion that the world has embraced until we go back to the root of it. And the root of it, the very first step in, in erasing the meaning of gender is rendering our genitals unable to generate. That is the original gender confusion. The very word gender means, when you look at the etymology of the word, it means the manner in which you generate new life. And when, when you attack the, the genital act of, of man and woman, of husband and wife, when you render the genitals unable to generate, it is a direct frontal attack on the very meaning of gender. We live in a world right now that sees humanity through what you might call condom-colored glasses. And when you view humanity through condom-colored glasses, the very meaning of gender eventually evaporates. That's the world we're in now. The church is not crazy here in her teaching. Please, please check the link in the show notes. If you don't already have that book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, please take it up. Please read it. Please study it. Uh, it, it will open your eyes to the beauty and goodness of God's plan for making us male and female. Our last question is from Sister Magdalena. Hello, Sister Magdalena. Is this the Sister Magdalena I know? I don't know. I don't either. There, I'm sure there's more than one Sister Magdalena Here's what there. she says, though. I am a high school teacher, and I use some of Christopher's materials to teach Theology of the Body. One of my students wants to ask Christopher a few personal questions. Okay. How were you able to know 
learn and take in all this truth of the Lord? How were you able to open your heart to all this good information, contain it, and share it with others? And lastly, how do you live in this truth of Jesus? Wow, that's a fun question. I like it. I like the sense of a, a student just not only receiving the gift of your teaching, but wanting to understand your own sensing that what's in this book has come from your heart and yes. how did it get there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I like that question. Let me, let me approach it from this angle. I could approach it from various angles, but I'll just go with what comes to my, my heart to, to answer it. Uh, I'm, I'm remembering when I was 20 years old, I was just ended a, a four-year relationship and it was really hard. It was really painful. I was in a lot of pain. And that pain compelled me to look for answers. I remember also feeling that I had caused this woman that was in my life for four years a lot of pain. And I wanted to understand what was going on in me that caused her pain. Why was I in so much pain? And looking around at the world, everybody was in pain. I was in college at the time, and I remember the dorm life scene, and I remember the promiscuity, and I remember the pain that people were in, mm. myself included. And that pain compelled me to go on a journey. I remember falling on my knees in a college dorm in 1988, really wrestling with the pain I was seeing in the college dorms, the pain I was mm. experiencing in this relationship myself. And I, this ragged prayer came out of my heart, God, if you exist, you better show me why you gave me all of these desires because they're getting me and everybody I know into a hell of a lot of trouble. Do you have a plan? Do you have a, a vision? What, what, and if so, what is it? Please show me. Jesus said, seek and you will find. And I sought and I sought and I started studying the scriptures when I was about 20 years old, almost 21. I really started taking scripture studies seriously. And the, the question on my heart was, Lord, why did you make us male and female? What is this whole sex thing about? And over a period of about three years in studying the scriptures, prayerfully opening my heart, I came to see what I would now call this spousal vision of the Bible, that the Bible begins with our creation as male and female and the call of the two to become one flesh. It begins with a marriage in an earthly paradise. And throughout the Old Testament, God speaks of his love for his people as the love of a husband for his bride. Christ comes in the New Testament as the eternal bridegroom to marry the church. And the Bible ends with an eternal marriage. This started shining such a bright light mm -hmm. on my pain because I realized, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. The reason we're male and female is to be a sign here on planet Earth that points us to our eternal destiny of union with God forever and ever in ecstasy and glory. And I came to realize there's an enemy who wants to thwart that plan of God in my life. And because I had believed the lies of this enemy... I had been taken down this path that caused me and others a lot, a lot of pain. And, and the, the, the yearning to be healed, the yearning to live the truth, the, 
the yearning to help others discover what I was discovering, all of that was driving me to want to understand more and more and more why did God make us this way. And in 1993, I was almost 24 years old when when someone uh, was at my parents' house for dinner and and I was sharing some, some of what I was learning in my own scripture study with this person. And she said, oh, you must have read John Paul II's Theology of the Body. I said, no, what is that? She said, wow, you haven't read it. You're talking just like the Pope. And I couldn't believe it. I said, the Pope talks about sex like this? She said, oh, yeah, 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 you got to read this. You're going to love it. So I ordered it the next day and I devoured it. I mm. devoured it. And it set me ablaze because I knew I wasn't crazy. Like I, the things I was learning, he confirmed that I wasn't crazy. And of course, he, his study took me to a whole uh, new level, a such, such a, a much deeper level of understanding. And I remember reading it for the first time thinking, I am holding in my hands. If you look at the state of the world and, and the, what the world's going through and the pain that the world is in, I am holding in my hands the answer to that pain. And I, I knew then I would spend the rest of my life studying this and sharing it with others. So there was this fire that, that came from my own pain, a, a fire to want to understand God's plan, an encounter with, with God's vision in Scripture, and then a deepening, a much more profound understanding that came from reading John Paul II's Theology of the Body, which we have to understand is also just... Uh, it's a scripture study. It's what it is. It's a Bible study. Theology of the body is a Bible study on why God made us male and female. Mm. And it illuminates not just why God made us male and female, but coming to understand why God made us male and female illuminates the entirety of our faith. The Catechism says that the entire Christian life bears the mark of the spousal love of Christ and the Church. So coming to understand maleness, femaleness, the call of the two to become one flesh, and how this reveals the mystery of Christ and the church, this is the key that unlocks the whole biblical story. And it, it filled me with such a, a yearning, a fire to share this message with the hurting world. That's where it all came from. So the fire began it, and then it's been 30-plus years of, of prayer, of study, of bumping up, in my own marriage and my own life with my own fallenness and allowing what I know to be true to convict my heart of where I'm off and just learning continually what it means to live out the the, the Christian life as a life of prayer and and embracing the sacraments. It's been my my yeah, it's been my life for over 30 years. So I can only thank and praise God for that. I, yeah. I can't take credit for any of it. Uh, I only want to say thank you, Lord, for leading me down this this path. I remember um, an image that was shared with me by an evangelist once that um, with a whole group of people, not just with me, that we might be hesitant to talk to strangers that you know we we've never met and we have no reason to talk to them about anything. It, we just feel sort of a barrier between us and them, but. If we passed a house that was on fire and we thought someone's in there, someone's in danger, all our concern about 
that person being a stranger would go away. Right. And we'd have an urgency to go talk to that person because we have important information yeah. they need to know. Yeah. And we have hope. You don't have to stay in the burning house. And I think some of that is kind of what has happened in your heart yes, yes. is both the eyes to see that that devastation, that that fire, that pain that yes, you talked about, yes. that that's a that's an, a gift of sight that you've been given from the Lord to see that. And so it's not just to see it and be sad, right, but to experience that there's hope. And so if if I see it and I know there's hope, I have to share it. I yeah. think that's been your experience Absolutely. again and again. Another analogy I often use is if if you've discovered the cure for cancer, you can't keep it to yourself. Mm, right. You have to share it with people. So that that's been the motivating factor. And uh, man, it's taken me down, uh, taken us as a married couple down a path that we couldn't have predicted. It would take this turn or that turn or or involve that struggle or that difficulty, but I can't imagine doing anything else with my life. Mm -hmm. I am so grateful. I get to spend my life inviting hungry people to a banquet. Thank you, Lord, for this calling on my life. I say yes to it. And uh, what a gift that it, it, it inspires others. What is the calling on your life? Mm -hmm. Every human being each and every one of us has a calling, a vocation, a mission to accomplish that no one else can accomplish. In one way or another, we're called to be a gift, a gift that brings life to others. And in all of that, God's grace is poured out so that we can become what we are. is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.